But tonight, um, we're going to continue in our, our series. Uh, this is actually going to be one of the last messages in this, is the last message in this series, What We Believe. And we've covered different topics. Uh, we've covered salvation. We, we've covered um, God and the Trinity as a whole. Um, and so tonight, we want to come to this <coughs> subject matter of what about the will of God? Because I think when it comes to the will of God, so many people have misunderstandings about what exactly we're talking about. I mean, how do you know what God wants you to do? Um, it's, a, it's a pretty big question that people ask all the time. It's probably one of the most common questions that believers ask. How do I know if this is God's will? How do I know if that's God's will? Um, and remember, in times before we had the canon of Scripture, before we had the Bible, uh, God, a lot of times, demonstrated his will in a very um, outward, demonstrative, physical, dramatic way so you wouldn't be able to miss it. Um, but today, how do we know? How do we know what God's will is? Well, we have his word in our hands, and I think more than anything, substantially, we can find the will of God within the word of God. Would you agree? Um, I don't know if you were... When you were little, if you saw this toy, I never had one, but one of my friends had one. I think it was called like a magic eight ball or something. It's like this little black ball. <laughs> it was like a, a culting thing, I thought, but it was just kind of a goofy thing. And you'd put it on the table and it would tell you the answers to things, you know, kind of like a Ouija board, or, a board almost. Um, a lot of times that's how people approach the, word, the will of God. They think that somehow uh, God took his will and he uh, hides it from us, and then we got to spend the rest of our lives trying to figure out what it is, what he wants. And it's kind of like we're wandering around the face of the earth, and God's up there in heaven. Oh, you're getting warmer. You're getting closer. You're getting warmer, you know. Marco Polo, you know, those kind of things. You know, it would just be kind of crazy. That, that's not how it works. Uh, but it's a good question. There's nothing wrong with asking that question. But it would be cool to have something like that little eight ball, that when you became a Christian, God could just give you this little device you'd carry around, and you could say, is this the will of God for me? And it would answer you. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, you know, is this the person I'm supposed to marry? Yes or no? Is this the house I'm supposed to buy? Is this the church I'm supposed to go to? Is this the job I'm supposed to take? We have so many questions. And a lot of times, uh, we want to know what, what the will of God is, what his direction is for us. Now, some people, when it comes to God's will, they think that, well, you know what, you can't really be sure about it. You really can't know what it is. You just got to do the best you can, and that's all that's expected of you. Well, that's not really true. It sounds logical. It sounds rational, but it's not biblical. If you look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, and we're not really in one text tonight. We're kind of jumping around a little bit, so, but... Uh, verse 17, it says, Paul writes this, he says, therefore do not be foolish, okay, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Right there, puts it right there. Um, if, if God never intended for you to have his will, to know his will, he, he definitely never would have called you to understand it. But here, that's exactly what he, he does. 
Psalm 32, verses 8 and 9 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, God says. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Verse 9 says, be not like a horse or a mule (laughs) without understanding, um, which must be be curbed with a, a bit or bridle, or it will not stay near you. What's he saying? What's, what's the psalmist saying there in Psalm 32? He's, God is basically telling us, don't be like a dumb donkey. <laughs> okay, a dumb donkey that wants to go its own way, even though it doesn't know where to go. Um, it, when it doesn't get its way, what happens? It rears up, it, it causes a lot of problems, it gets wild, it gets out of control, and it forces the, the rider or the p- person who's leading that donkey to, to use force to get it back in line. And he's saying, don't be like that. Don't be like a dumb, dumb donkey. And God is really telling us that um, I want you to listen to me. This is what God is saying. Because I'm going to lead you. I'm going to show you. He doesn't say he's going to lead you down any path. He says, I'm going to lead you down the best path. All right, that, that should say something. Now, understand the best path, according to the Lord, is not always the richest path. It's not always the easiest path. It's not even always the smoothest path. As a matter of fact, the best path, a lot of times, is not the shortest path. But the best path is always what? God's path. It's always God's path. It may be longer. uh, It may be less money. It may be rough. It may be difficult. It may include some pain. But... Please understand that the path that God wants to put you on and lead you down, he says, I'll be with you along the way. And it's the best path that you could go. Um, now, you don't always know why when you're on the path, right? How many of you have been on the path? Where you Kind of Lord opens the door and you're walking down the path and you're thinking, wow, this does not feel like the best path, right? Uh, sometimes that, that happens. But he does say, if you listen to me, I'll lead you. And I'll always lead you down the best path. And so we're in this series, What We Believe. And, and some of the, the, the top five questions that people ask, one of them is, how do we determine what God's will is for me? How do we, they phrase it this way, how do we find God's will? And, you know, as we said, I don't think God hid his will. I think he makes it pretty plain and pretty clear to us what it is. Um, and a lot of times we spend our Christian lives trying to discover the will of God. If we just live our Christian lives, guess what? God's will will find you. You don't need to find it. It will discover you. And so what do we believe about the will of God? Because it's important. And, and God says, I want to show it to you. I want you to know it. And so three quick points here tonight. The first one being there in your outline, the entirety of God's will is an expression to us of God's love. The entirety of God's will is an expression to us of God's love. Uh, all of God's will for your life. I can say this based upon the authority of, of the word of God. All of God's will for your life, all of it, period, is an expression of his will. And it's, it's, you never have to fear the will of God for your life. Why? Because it's wrapped up in the love that God has for you. And yet, so many Christians, I know I had this mentality too, we were kind of afraid 
of the will of God. Uh, you know, some people say, oh, you know, I, I, could, I could never pray that God's will be done because, first of all, I don't know what God's will is. And then if they knew what it was, you know, they, they kind of want to have time to evaluate it. They want to discern, well, is this, is this the best thing for me? Really? God's will? Um, and God says, you know what? You don't have to evaluate it. You don't even have to think about it. You can know that God says, my will for you is the best because it is wrapped up in my love for you. I'm going to give you the very best of, of what my will is for you. And so you never have to be afraid of it. Romans 12, 2 kind of talks about this a little bit. And it's, it's really the, the one verse that people point to a lot when they talk about the will of God. And we probably know this verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. It tells you right there. What is good and acceptable and perfect. Notice he describes the will of God as, first of all, being good in Romans 12, 2, which means joyful. It means agreeable. Uh, God's will is joyful and agreeable. God's will for your life is not something you're going to look at and go, oh, man, no way. All right. Um, secondly, it's pleasing, which means the word has the connotation of being desirable or being acceptable, which which leads even further down the road, it, it means it's something that you want. It's something that you want. Uh, it's not like, you know, you're a little kid at the table trying to, you know, push away the spoonful of green peas that your mom's trying to make you to eat. No, I don't want it. No, eat it, you know. No. But that's our mentality sometimes when it comes to the will of God. It's good, it's pleasing, and then thirdly, it's perfect, Paul says. What is good, acceptable, and perfect. Uh, that means it's whole, it's complete, it's blameless. And so when you stop and you think about it, if you put it like this, God's will for you is joyful, it's agreeable, it's acceptable, it's a desirable, and it's complete, and it's whole, and it's perfect. I mean, if you knew that was God's will for your life, every piece of it, every part of it, um, wouldn't you want it? Wouldn't you want to experience God's will? Uh, but some of us are still hesitant. We're still holding back. We're still saying, well, but I still don't know what it is, so even though if it's good, if it's perfect, it's all this stuff, I, I don't know. I don't know. And what are we saying when we have that kind of an attitude? Um, it's almost like we're saying, you know what, God, I appreciate you have the best at heart for me. You have the best path chosen for me. You have the best possible will and outcome for my life. <clears throat> but... Um, I might have a better one over here. <laughs> That's what we're saying. We're, we're questioning the Almighty God. <clears throat> we're, we're, we're questioning <clears throat> God's will for us, even though we don't know what's going to happen an hour from now. But God does. God knows everything, right? And so we want to hold off and we want to say, well, God, tell me what your will is so I can evaluate it first. <laughs> and then once I evaluate it, uh, then... I can discern whether I want to do it or not. Then I'll give the final okay. And God is saying, you don't have to worry about that. 
you can trust me as your God and your creator. You can trust me with all your heart because my will for you is wrapped up in my love for you. And you can always trust me as your God and creator. The entirety of God's will for us is perfect. It's powerful. It's pleasing. And it's all for us. And so we need to understand that the will of God is rooted in what? It's rooted in the very character of God. Think about that. The will of God for us is rooted in God's character. We talked a little bit about God's character before, but to summarize what we spoke about before, you have to stop and think the character of God is um, above anyone's character. It's impeccable. You can't, no one can point a finger at God and say, oh, no, no, can't do it. Why? Because he's holy. He's perfect. He's fully righteous. He's fully just. His character is completely impeccable. Well, what does that make God's will for you? (laughs) Impeccable. It makes it perfect. All right? Because it's rooted in the impeccable character of God. And God says, you know what? You need to trust me as my child because of who I am. I don't need to give you an explanation. You just need to trust me. And I think it was, I don't know if it was in here or we, we sang a song, um, Good, Good Father. I think we sang it a couple weeks ago. But anyway, that's, that's who our God is, right? He's, he's a good, good father. And that's what he does. So he says, trust me. I, I'm, I'm always going to be about your best interest. Now, a lot of us get freaked out because we think if we yield our lives to God, and if we say, God, I'm yours, I'll do whatever you want, I'll go wherever you want, uh, I'll commit to service, whatever you want me to do, Lord, I'll do it. Um, We're afraid that God's going to ask us to do something or to go somewhere or to commit to a service to him that is uh, outside our comfort zone. We'll put it that way. Guess what? He will. (laughs) You can guarantee it. That's exactly what he's going to do. Okay? And sometimes we don't like that, but it helps us grow. It's not going to be too much for us. Because he knows who we are. He knows he created us. But it's going to force us out of our comfort zone to what? To depend on him. To walk by what? Faith, not by sight. I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you had to do something? You just were not, you didn't feel capable of doing it. You felt completely um, inadequate. And you didn't know how it was going to go. I mean, I remember the first time I was asked to play the piano in a church setting. The pianist was sick, and somebody heard me playing at one of the, you know, you things, and they said, oh, you know, and I was just an intern at that time. He said, Steve can play the piano. Get up there and play. Uh, no, I can't, because I couldn't. The way they wanted it played, I couldn't. And I remember sitting at the piano just feeling flushed, feeling my face turn beet red, as I tried my best to keep up with the song leader who's up there waving his hands, you know, I didn't know what he was doing. I had the slightest idea. I didn't even know the song he was singing. And they're a good job. <laughs> what am I doing? I'm trying to pick out the melody, you know. It, it was so embarrassing. And it was humiliating. But you know what? God stretched me through that. He stretched me through that. So sometimes God calls you to do something even though you're inadequate to do it. And I think the reason he does that 
is because it is beyond ourselves. Because what's going to happen when that, when that happens? You, you have to depend on him. I mean, I don't think I prayed harder ever in my life than that moment. And it was just a small little church, you know, maybe 15 people. But I was just so devastated. Um, and yet, you know what? God used that. He used it in my life. And so sometimes he stretches you beyond what you're able to do because he wants you to depend on him. And that's what the scripture says, right? We walk by what? Faith, not by sight. Okay? And so all of us have been gifted in a myriad of ways, and sometimes God calls upon us to serve him in ways that we don't think we're gifted. You know, but God is saying, you know what? There is a gift in there, and I'm going to pull it out of you whether you like it or not. And so uh, it's uncomfortable, but it's neat when it happens that way. And so that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. That's what it means to be following Christ. But a lot of times, it's not so much we feel inadequate in what we're doing, but sometimes we're concerned that, that God is going to call us to something and we are going to absolutely hate it. Like the worst possible scenario played out in your mind. If I was in this scenario, I, it would just be the worst possible thing. And I know that if I yield my life to God, that's what he's going to make me do. For me, when I was going to Bible college, it was like, he's going to make me go to Africa, and it's going to be human, it's going to be sweaty, and I'm not going to be able to take a shower every day. I mean, that is so stupid, right? But to me, that was a major thing. And it's like, I, I couldn't do that. You know, I, I look at uh, videos of uh, Bob and, and Nobi Kennel going down to Papua New Guinea, and I'm like... I don't know if I could do that. You know, I just don't know if I could do it. So sometimes that's how we think of God's will. We think that's what his will is for us, and he's going to make us do that. And, and that's not true. That's just not true. Um, I mean, do you think that God is really that cruel? I mean, think about it. If you were a parent and and your child came up to you, and, and they, were just, they were just above board in all their behavior. They were being so obedient and everything all summer long and, and all this stuff. And, and, you know, come the end of the summer, you know, you, you told them at the beginning if they were good, you, you know, you'd get them something or whatever. And they were just stellar. They're just a wonderful kid. And you're thinking, is this even my kid? And then at the end of the summer, that time comes, and you say, you know what? I know I promised this, but I'm going to make you miserable. I am going to make your life miserable. Because of your obedience, I'm going to torture you. I mean, you wouldn't do that as a parent. And that's not what God does. Um, you know, we wouldn't do that. And, and so the Lord doesn't do that either. Um, you would commend them for that. And so here, you know, when Jesus, he, he actually said, if you being evil, he said to the, the, the religious leaders know how to give good gifts to your children. Remember this? If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father in heaven give good gifts to you? And so when you stop and you think about God's will, um, you know, we just got to get over this mindset that if we, if we say yes to God's will, God will do it whatever the cost. We'll go wherever you want to go that you're not going to punish me for my obedience in that, in that issue. Your heavenly father's not interested in making you squirm like a worm in the ashes. That's not his goal for you. That's not his will for you. He doesn't want to do that. Um, 
Because why? God's will for you is an expression of his love for you. And his will for you is wrapped up in his love. Um, now, God's will for you, let's say it this way, God's will for you would be your will for you if you had the sense of God. His will for you would be your will for you if you had that kind of sense. But unfortunately, we don't, do we? We're tainted by sin. Um, and so God says, you know what, because you're tainted by sin and you don't have the common sense to carry out my will and you don't even think my will is good for you, um, you need to come to me, you need to obey me, you need to put your trust in me because you don't have that sense, but I do. I know the very best for you and you can trust me. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, the apostle John, he writes this, he says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love, what? What's it say? Cast out fear, right? We don't need to have a fearful relationship with God. God loves us. He cares for us. Um, in, when you look at that verse, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. This is not your perfect love for God that casts out fear. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about God's love. It's his perfect love for you. It's pretty much unconditional. And so God loves you perfectly in a way so we don't have to be afraid. And you can wholly know that God wants what's best for you, no matter what. He wants best, what's best, what God's best will for your family. He, he wants what's best for this church. And so, you know, we don't have to be afraid of that. The will of God is not a roadmap but it's a relationship. The will of God is not a road map, but it's a relationship. In, in John 15, 5, he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing, right? So the will of God is not a road map. It's, it's a relationship, that, that abiding relationship between Christ and his children. Um, God's will is not something you have to do. That's how we think of it. Think of it this way. God's will is something we get to do. It's, it's a blessing. God's will is not a burden to carry. It's, it's a blessing to carry out. Um, it's not a road map. You know, when you became a Christian, Jesus didn't say, yep, here are the directions, follow them, I'll see you in heaven. <laughs> you know, that's not how it works. Right? No, he, he said, you know what? I'm going to give you a Holy Spirit. I'm going to be with you all the way. I know, because I, I know you because I created you. I know the world because I created the world. And you know what? I know the future because I know everything. And so I know the things that I have for you in life. And you can trust me through this. And it goes back to that trusting relationship that we need between us and the Lord. And if you're struggling with God's will for your life, I'll just say this, even as a believer, if you're struggling with God's will for your life, it's probably because you, you think you've, you've committed to a plan or a map rather than a person. You've committed to 
what you think maybe God has for you, but you're not really committed to Christ. See, God never calls you to commit to his plan first. He never does that. God always first says, you know what, you need to be committed to a person. You need to be committed to my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. After you get that commitment out of the way, then we can talk about the map. Then we can talk about where I want you to go. But it makes no sense whatsoever to talk about anything until you have that relationship with Christ. And you know what? The the more you get to know Christ in that personal relationship as you grow with him, guess what happens? The less control you think you have to have in your life. The more you get to know Christ, the less control you think you have to have in your life. And guess what? That's where fear comes from. Fear comes from, what, a lack of control, right? I'm sure this guy that ran into the house across the street, he was filled with fear as he saw the house coming toward him and his house ended up in, or his car ended up in this guy's garage, all right? That would be a fearful thing. Why? Because you have no control. The key to knowing God's will is knowing who? God is knowing God. And when you know God, you're all in for God's will because you know the character of God. Um, But on the other hand, the less you know Christ, the less you know more, the less you know about God, the more control you think you need to have. But the more you know Christ, the less control. I mean, think about it. If you got into an airplane with a complete stranger and they said, come on, we're going to fly to Southern California. And you said, well, have you flown before? Now you have to wait and see. You know, <laughs> wait a minute. Well, I'm not getting in the plane with somebody like that, right? Why? Because you don't know this person. But if you've spent time with this person and you've seen this person fly and, and they're established and their credentials and everything, you're not going to think twice about getting in the plane with a person like that. Because they're, they're, they're adequate at, at doing what they say they're going to do. And, and God wants all of us. He wants, doesn't want parts of us. He wants all of us. He wants you and he wants all of you to put your faith and trust in him. And in response, he says, you know what? I'm going to give you all of me. <laughs> 100%, I'm there for you as we walk through this together. And so the entirety of God's will, um, none of the, the rest of this, until you get that right, having this relationship with Christ, nothing else is going to make any sense. If you don't believe this, all the rest, just, you know, turn it off because it's not going to make any sense. If you don't believe and commit to the understanding of the character of God is in the will of God and that the love of God flows through the will of God, nothing else really matters because you're never really going to commit to it because you're not going to be able to trust it. You're going to see yourself as the Lord of your own life. You're in control, so you think. I remember there's a... We had an individual here, and I talked to him one day about salvation, and I said, what is holding you up? I mean, you know know it. I mean, you can tell other people the gospel, for goodness sakes. What is holding you up? And he said this. He said, I just, I just can't give, give up control. And I just laughed. He goes, what are you laughing at? I go, I, it just, I just blows my mind you think you're in control. <laughs> What's going to happen at 5 o'clock? What do you mean? You don't know what's going to happen. You're not in control. 
You could be dead at 5 o'clock. I could be dead at 5 o'clock. We don't know what's going to happen. We're not in control. And so why not trust someone who is in control? And so every single detail of God's will for your life is an expression of his love. Even, even the painful moments, even the difficult moments, even the, the times when you think, you know what, I just can't believe this. I can't handle this anymore, God. All this stuff I'm going through, you know what? It's an expression of his love for you, as hard as it may be. So that leads us to the second thing here. Um, not only is the entirety of God's will an expression of God's love, but the majority of God's will is identical <laughs> for all of God's people. The majority of God's will is the same for all of God's people. Um, see, the, the, the best, I guess the best question isn't what God's will the best question isn't, what is God's will for my life? That's not the best question. That's not a, even, I mean, it's not a bad question. It's not a horrible question, but it's not the best question. I wouldn't say it's a sinful question, but it's not the best question. You say, well, what's, what's the, the best question? The best question is this. What is God's will? Leave the for my life out of it. If we can get a hold of what is God's will, then we can focus in on ourselves. Um, somebody said 90%, um, if you have to put a number on it, 90% of God's will is for everybody. 90% of God's will is for everybody. It's not just for you. It's not just for me. It's for everybody. And so really, discovering God's will isn't discovering God's will for you. That's not the point. It's, it's really discovering God's will for everybody. If we get a handle on that, then we can move on. That's why we can preach a message like this, and I know that the vast majority of us are able to apply it to our lives because 90% of God's will for every single person is the same. It's the same. But what do we do? We, we don't focus on the 90%, right? What do we do? We focus on the 10%. We focus on the 10% that's specific to our situation. And God, I want to know this. I want to know what school to go to. I want to know who to marry. I want to know where to live. I want to know what job to take. I want to know all this stuff. You know, should I buy a gold car or a blue car, you know? We, and God's in heaven going, who cares? I don't really care. That's not the point. Because if you focus on the 10% that's specific to you of God's will and you ignore the 90% that's meant for everybody, guess what happens? The 10% never seems to work out. It never works its way out. But what I've noticed is if you will commit to the 90% of God's will that applies to everybody, the known will of God, you could call it, if we do the known will of God, the 10%, which is the unknown, specific to us, will work out. It'll make it a lot easier to understand what that is. And so if we commit to doing the known will of God, the unknown will of God will make itself a lot clearer. Well, what is this? What, what, what is the known will of God? John MacArthur breaks it up into several little things here. He says, first of all, the first thing is, 
the known will of God is that you need to be saved, right? You need to be saved. It's God's will for us to be saved. Uh, Salvation is where God's will for us begins. If you never have committed to Christ, I would say right now, if you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, if you've never believed in the gospel for the forgiveness of your sins, if you've never been transformed and made a new person and made a new creation by the Lord, that's God's will for you. That's what he desires. It's God's will for you to trust in Christ and be saved. This is what 2 Peter 3.9 says. 2 Peter 3.9, Peter preached this. He said, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as what? Some count slowness. And then he says this, but is patient toward you, not wishing any should what? Perish. But that all should reach repentance. God is not slow. That means he's not slack. He's not, you know, off sitting on a cloud somewhere. He's not distant This is not the God we serve. And he says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come unto repentance. The will for God, generally, for the whole population, is that they would turn from their sin and they would turn toward the Savior who is his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's God's will. You can say it based upon the authority of Scripture. That's exactly what Peter's preaching. And by the way, that's what Paul preached. That's what Paul preached, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. He says this, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of our God, our Savior. Verse 4, he says, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Wow. This is what God desires for you. But it's not just Peter who preached it. And it's not just Paul that preaches this. Did you know that even... Um, Jesus preached this in Matthew chapter 18 verses 12 to 14 he says this what do you think if a man listen has a hundred sheep kind of speaking in a parable here and one of them has gone astray so you have a hundred sheep one of them leaves he says does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray and if he finds it truly I say to you what happens He rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray. And then he says this in verse 14. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Wow. This is what Jesus taught. Peter preached it. Paul preached it. Jesus preached it. Now, are we saying that everybody's going to be saved? No, I'm not saying that. That's universalism. That would be not what Scripture teaches. But God's will clearly is that people are to be saved. Uh, Understand this. There are a million ways that God brings people to salvation. I, I guarantee you, if we went around the room and we were able to take time tonight and say, hey, Dave, how did you come to Christ? How did you come to Christ? How did you come? And we go around the room and everybody shares their testimony. I don't think we would find two that are identical. I just don't think you would do that. I don't think you would find two identical testimonies even in a, in a room full of 100 people. Why? Because there's a million ways that God brings people to salvation. But there's only one way that he brings them through. 
and that is through Christ, right? There are a million ways that he brings people to salvation, but there's only one way that he brings people through salvation, and that is through Christ. The Bible says there's only one mediator between God and man. Guess who it is? The Lord Jesus Christ. You got it. You see that over and over and over again. There aren't many ro roads that lead to heaven. That's, that's all a lie. There's one way. There's one way. And that is by putting your faith, your trust in Christ. It's not in this church. It's not in the Catholic church. It's not in the Methodist church. It's not in the Baptist church. It has nothing to do with that. You know, Jesus is not going to ask you when, God is not going to ask you when you appear at the pearly gates. Let's just see, there are pearly gates and you're there. And, and God asks you, you know, why should I let you into heaven? <laughs> you know, well, I, I'm Catholic or I'm Methodist. Wrong. <laughs> You know, the one thing he's going to be concerned with, if he had to ask you a question, he would say, what did you do with my son? What did you do with my son? Because there's only one way to get into heaven, and that's by putting your faith, your trust in Christ, and in his sacrifice, and his, his uh, victory over sin and death, and the forgiveness that he offers us. Salvation is where God's will begins in a person's life. If, if you're not saved, you're not going to understand what God's will is. Well, secondly, it's not only the will of God that you're saved, but it's also the will of God that you're spirit-filled. And this follows with salvation. When you are saved, when you come to Christ for salvation, guess what God does? He doesn't say, okay, well, have a nice life. I'll see you in heaven. No, he says, you know what? I'm going to give you a supernatural power that's going to live within you. The Holy Spirit is going to live within you, and he is going to lead you. He's going to guide you as you depend on him. He will show you what to do the rest of the time you're here on earth. It's God's will for us to be spirit-filled. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 18, he talks about this once again. Um, we, we looked at part of this. He says, look carefully then how, how you should walk. Basically, he's talking about living your life. Not as unwise, but wise. That word unwise in this verse, um, basically what, what that word means is without knowledge. It means ignorant. Uh, to put it on the very bottom shelf, he says, don't be stupid. That's what he's saying, the S word, my grandkids. Don't say the S word, Grandpa. One time we were somewhere, they did something. I said, that was stupid. And we got home. They were just little kids, right? We got home. They ran to their mother. Grandpa said the S word. And I'm thinking the other S word. I'm like, what, you little liars? I didn't do that. Yeah, he said stupid. Oh, boy innocence of a child <laughs> but he says don't be stupid but be wise making the best use of your time because the days are evil we look around we see that right then he says this therefore do not be foolish same idea here but understand what the will of the lord is and he relates it to drinking wine he says don't get drunk with wine that's wrong that's debauchery but be filled with the spirit and so there are so many things in life that you do not have to pray about because they're revealed right in the Word of God. I remember when I was a brand new youth pastor across the bay at his church, and I remember one of the parents, they had a meeting with me, and 
the, the husband and wife and mother and father, and I'm sitting in my office, and I, wasn't, I was single at the time. I had no business counseling these people. I didn't know what I was doing. But they were sitting there, and I remember the man saying, you know, our marriage is on the rocks, and God told me to get a divorce. So I'm going to get a divorce. And I almost laughed because I'm like, you know what? I don't know where that came from, but it didn't come from God. I most assuredly guarantee you. And I showed them in, in the scriptures where that's not the will of God. Um, you know, we, sometimes it's not God's will because we have it already outlined for us in scripture. We don't have to pray about it. Um, so when you're, you're spirit-filled, what does it say? Don't get drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the spirit. Don't live as unwise or be stupid about it without knowledge, being ignorant. Don't be stupid, but live, live an informed way by the spirit. He's talking to believers here. He's talking to people who've already trusted in Christ. And he's wanting them to know this is the beginning of God's will. This is the beginning of God's will. It's, it's salvation when you receive the, the Holy Spirit. And every believer has the Holy Spirit. And so this word filled in the text literally means they, they, used, to, they used to use it about when, when sailors would put up the sail on a boat, right? And what would happen? The wind would catch the sail, right? And what would that do? That would, that would push the boat in a certain direction, okay? Um, and and th this is what this is, this is calling. This means to be controlled. The Holy Spirit is referred to as a wind, right? It goes where we don't see it, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, when someone's filled with wine, they're influenced by the wine. They're controlled by the wine. And so here he's saying, don't do that. You know, you don't need to even be praying about that. <laughs> That's not a good thing to do, to, be, to drink alcohol to the point where it's controlling you. That would be wrong. He says, instead, allow the Holy Spirit to control you. Now, a lot of people say, well, I have a really difficult understanding the voice of God. I don't know what God is telling me to do. Listen, this, the voice of God is this. It's the Spirit of God inside you. And, and I guarantee you this, it will never contradict the Scripture. The voice of God will never tell you to do something that's contrary to what the Scripture says. The Spirit of God in your heart will never contradict the word of God in your hand. Put it that way. The scripture always, always, always affirms the spirit, and the spirit always, always affirms the scripture. They always go together that way. Um, that's why it's so important to get into the word. That's why it's so important to learn about the word. Because as you learn about the word, what does God do? He reveals his will to you. He shows you what he wants you to do. A lot of times people will come in, I'm really struggling with this, I'm struggling with that, and all this, the 10% stuff, you know, the specific things. I don't know what college to pick or which woman to marry or what house to buy, whatever it might be. And my question back to them is always the same. How much time are you spending in the Word? And some boldly say, well, what's that have to do with anything? <laughs> it has everything, everything to do with everything. Because if you're, if you're not in the word, you're never, ever, ever, ever going to understand God's will because it's revealed to us through his word. And then it's affirmed by the Holy Spirit. And so he leads you then 
The 90% leads you directly into the 10%. So once you understand what God's revealed will for everybody is, and you start doing that, um, then God will take care of the rest. I think it's John MacArthur that says, you know what? Just do what God tells us to do in his word, and then after that, do whatever you want. And that's, so, that's such good advice. That's such good advice. Um, but we want to go right to the details. We want to focus just on the 10% because we've, we've, you know, just kind of makes us feel better. Uh, but it's a really dangerous way to live your life because, you know what, we all have voices in our head. Um, you didn't know you are schizophrenic, right? We all have voices in our head. We all, we all have, you know, the way we were raised, you know, um, it, it might be the voices from your mom and dad or your boss or the world or Satan's voice. I mean, you might have a lot of stuff going on in your head. And my point is this. You can't trust those voices. Don't trust those voices. There's only one voice that we can trust, and that's the voice of God. And the Word of God says that God has spoken to us. Um, so if you don't know the Word of God, the voice of God is going to be very, very, very difficult to discern. And so the answer is get in the word. What clarifies, what affirms the voice of God is the word of God. I heard this story the other day about this golfer. And he was out and he was approaching this hole. And he was okay, but he wasn't great. And on this hole that he was approaching, he got up to tee the ball off and he realized, well, there's a major water hazard on this, on this hole. So he had his new ball, and he's like, well, I'm not going to use the new ball because I don't want to lose it in the water because it's probably going to go in the water. So he puts the new ball back in his, his bag, and he gets out this old ball, and he puts it on the tee, and uh, he gets ready to swing, and he hears a little voice saying, use the new ball. And he goes, hmm, okay. So he goes back to his bag, gets the new ball, puts the old ball away, puts the new ball on the tee, and he gets ready to swing, and he hears a little voice saying, Take a practice swing. Okay. So he steps back, does a couple practice swings, and he steps back up. And I think the voice saw his swing because he heard a voice saying, use the old ball. You know, uh, it's, it's so important to realize that you cannot trust these kind of things. And that's why as believers, Bible-believing Christians, it's not really good when we say, you know, the Lord is just leading me this way. How do you know that? Or I'm just feeling God, God's voice over here. Or, you know, God impressed upon me. How do you know that? How do you know it's the voice of God? And so we have to be careful with that. And without a consistent, constant diet of the word of God, the voice of God is going to be very difficult to discern. That's why when we gather together as believers, what do we do? We open up the Bible and we study it. Because we want you to be familiar with the word of God. So when the voice of God is familiar with you, it's easier to follow. Uh, not only is God wanting all of us to be saved and spirit-filled, controlled, influenced by the spirit through his word, but thirdly here, he wants us to be sanctified. He wants us to be sanctified. Um, this is not a difficult one. Sanctified, a lot of us know this word already. It means to be set apart. It means to be holy. It means to be um, different than. You could, you could describe it that way. 
Um, it's God's will that we are different from the world in which we live. That's his will. We don't have to pray about that. He calls us a peculiar people. That means we're a little odd. We don't fit in. And how is this? How is this specifically, how are we supposed to be different from the world? Well, if you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we saw this when we went through the book of, of Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 to 5. Paul writes, for this is the will of God. Oh, wow, that's easy. Right? This is the will of God. What? Your sanctification. Your sanctification. There it is. That you abstain, and then he gives what he means, from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control your own body in holiness and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. What's he do saying? He's saying, you know what? You're different from all the pagans around you. They are continually practicing sexual immorality. You, as my followers, are to be sanctified. You're to be set apart. You, you should avoid sexual immorality. If, if the world in which you live feels comfortable with God's will for your life, let me just say this. You are not in God's will. <laughs> if the world in which we live feels comfortable with God's will for your life, it's because you're not in God's will for your life. The world will never, ever, ever feel comfortable with God's will for you or for anybody else. I remember when I first got saved, and I told my family, hey, I'm going to California to go to this Bible school. And some of them weren't saved. They said, what are you, nuts? What happened to criminology? What happened to this? I said, no, this is what God wants me to do. I mean, they thought I was joining a cult. They had no idea. They, they didn't understand what I was doing. They thought I'd lost my mind. But here's what you need to know, though. Disobedience to the will of God always leads to the discipline of God. When you're willingly disobedient to the will of God, it always leads to the discipline of God. And so here he says, you know what? Avoid sexual immorality. And people within the church today have issues in this area of their life. They're being willfully disobedient to the will of God in, the, in this area. And it's always going to lead, always going to lead to God's discipline if you're one of his children. Because as, as believers, we don't just get to do whatever we want to do. We're called to a higher standard. We're called to live above reproach. Um, even discipline, you could say, is an expression of God's love. He could say... You know, what, I, what, I'm, what I'm, when I'm done with you, uh, it, it's all going to be good. Even though it's a little painful uh, right now, it's, it's hard to go through this. Discipline always brings, disobedience always brings the disciplining hand of God because that's a, an expression of his love. You know, when you look through the, the Bible, what's the one animal that we're all associated with? Sheep. Right? We're all, we're all oh, yeah, shepherd, you know, all this stuff. And, and you see it, th this imagery is just all over the Bible. And, and I think the Bible relates us to she sheep because sheep are dumb, and we're dumb. All right? It, it, it relates, relates us to sheep because sheep have an issue with uh, directions. All right? And really, outside of Christ, we're directionless. Um, sheep have a hard time defending themselves. That's why they need a shepherd, right? And, and that's why he, he calls us this. We're, we're dumb, directionless, 
and we have no defense. Um, I was reading a book, and it, it, it pointed out that, you know what, sometimes in a flock of sheep, you have one that does exactly what Jesus said he did, right? The sheep ran off. And when the sheep continues to run off, it's a problem because then the sheep, the shepherd's constantly chasing that one sheep. So you know what the shepherds do sometimes to avoid this having to chase down the sheep, this one sheep that's just kind of off doing its own thing? They take one of the legs of the sheep and they break it. And you say, well, that's not, that's horrible. You know, I, I get it. It's probably not a nice thing to do. Um, but the shepherd would break the sheep's leg, and guess what? It's not going to wander off too far or too quick in any direction if it, with a busted leg. But that's not the end of it. He didn't do it to make the sheep suffer. What would happen is he would have to now carry that sheep everywhere it went because it could carry itself because it had a busted leg. And the, the the, the, the story, the, the, the theory is this. Disobedience didn't just cost the sheep. It cost the shepherd. It was an inconvenience to the shepherd as well. The sheep had to bear the pain of the broken leg, but the shepherd had to bear the weight of the broken leg of the sheep and carry him everywhere from then on. And listen, when, when God disciplines you, when he, when he breaks our leg, you could say, it doesn't just cost us, it costs him. And he carries us. He's there beside us. And what they found out is that the sheep that had a, 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 a broken leg by the shepherd, after the, the leg would heal and he put the sheep back down, guess what? That sheep would never leave that shepherd's side again. It stayed with the shepherd. Why? because it had a bonding time with it. He took it everywhere he went. And that sheep wouldn't wander off again because it understood. It learned to trust what the shepherd. It learned to trust the shepherd. It learned his voice. And that's what God does when he breaks us. It's with the intent of carrying us around and saying, hey, I love you. I'm not giving up on you. I know what's best for you. And so he says we need to be saved, we need to be spirit-filled, sanctified, different. And then he says be surrendered, be surrendered. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, listen, to present your bodies as a, as a living sacrifice. As a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Um, that word there, when he says uh, conformed, do not be conformed to this world, it's, it's a word where we get the word scheme from. It's kind of like the idea of a, a um, chameleon he's saying don't be like a chameleon don't just conform to the world don't don't become something you, you're 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 different on the inside but but some of us as believers we become chameleons and we just kind of want to blend in with everybody because that's real easy we don't want to stand out we don't want to be particular we don't want to be peculiar 
Uh, we don't want to look sanctified in the eyes of other people because sometimes that causes issues. Well, he says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed from the inside out through the renewing of your mind. Um, we have a presentation. We have, you know, you, you have to make sure that you're presenting yourself as a living sacrifice, it says. Uh, now, when you sacrifice a sheep or a goat or an ox or whatever, that was the sacrifice. You know, they just didn't cut the leg off and sacrifice that. They sacrificed the whole animal. So the idea of presenting ourselves as a sacrifice, what God is saying is, I don't just want part of you. I want all of you. You're going to have to trust me through this process, but I want all of you, and you're going to have to yield all of you to me. It's not a smorgasbord. You don't get to choose which part you give God. Uh, there's a little devotion book called uh, My Heart, Christ's Home. Some of you probably read it. And it talks, gives the scenario of a house. And you invite Christ into the house. And the house is kind of representative of your own heart. And there's different rooms. And, and the guy takes Jesus around to the different rooms, the living room and the dining room. And, and Jesus goes, what's that room there? Oh, you can't go in there. <laughs> you know, it's like a closet, this dark closet. And he wants to keep Jesus out of there. Because <laughs> that's where he hides all the stuff. <laughs> okay? That, you can't live that way as a believer. That's being a chameleon. That's not really being conformed. And so we have this presentation. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. But it also says that we have this transformation that happens. Uh, we're, being, we're not being conformed to the world because God has transformed us. And, and that word is, is the word metamorphosis we get the word from. It's kind of like a caterpillar. You know what happens to a caterpillar when it goes through that whole transformation into a, a, a butterfly? And so when we present ourselves to God, what does he do? He starts this transformative process, and his, his goal is to make us more like his son. And so if we present everything that we have to God, we, we start this process, and God start changes us and makes us more like Christ. Um, well, and so then when we make decisions based on what the world says is good for us, guess what? We'll, we'll never get what God's best is for us. If you're listening to the world and you're saying, oh, you know, you have to do this or you have to do that, stop it. Because listen to God's voice. Listen to what God tells you is best for him and for you. And, and that way it will be a lot easier in the long run. And then the last thing here. Um, I put Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And he says, don't lean your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths, what? Straight, okay? Uh, it's easier to walk on a straight path than it is on a crooked one. Would you agree? Um, and that's what God's will does for us when we're willing to commit to it. The last thing here is to be surprised, <laughs> Surprise, surprise. Remember, uh, who was it? Gomer Pyle. Surprise, surprise, surprise. You know? um, this is what, what, what God wants from us. Um, if, if, let me say this. If you're never surprised by where God leads you, something's wrong. There's something wrong. If you look at your life and say, yeah, when I was 14, I planned to be here at age 40, and now I'm here at age 40, and it's exactly what I planned. There's a problem. Because you're following your plan. You're not following God's. Um, you're not in the will of God. You could honestly say that. 
And you say, well, how could you say that? Because God never tells you what he's going to do that far out. He doesn't say, oh, you know, okay, Steve, you know, when you're, I'm graduating high school, I know you're going to go to criminology and you're going go to go to college and get this degree in criminology, but that's not even what you're going to do. You're going to be a pastor of a church one day. It's like, what? That would blow my mind. I would be like Jonah on steroids, you know, running as far as I could away from that will. Okay, there's no way I would embrace that at that age. I, I just wouldn't do it. Well, Romans 11.33 says this. Paul said this. The depths of the riches and wisdom of the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. In other words, you know what? As much as God reveals to us his will, is to be saved, to be spirit-filled, to be sanctified, to be surrendered, to be surprised. The surprise part comes at the 10%. When he says, you know what, this is my will for you. Right? And, and you, you go, wow, I never would have imagined this, God. How, how am I going to be able to do? Hey, trust me, this is, this is supposed to be a surprise. Um, and, and I will use you in ways that you could not even imagine. And that leads to the last thing here quickly. The priority of God's will is the fulfillment of God's mission. The priority of God's will is the fulfillment of God's mission. We all want to do, fulfill God's mission, hopefully with our lives. We want to do what God wants us to do. Well, in John chapter 6, verse 38 to 40, it says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is Jesus speaking. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then also in Matthew 28, Jesus, before he leaves, he says, Go therefore and make disciples, what? Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, Jesus says, you know what? As you do this, as you carry this out, I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. This is, this is God's revealed will for us. And as we commit ourselves to God's revealed will as a church and as a people, he will, he will lead us in the part that we don't know specifically for us. So hopefully that's, that's helpful. Hopefully that puts a little meat on the idea of what we believe about God's, God's will. Well, let's close in a word of prayer and uh, ask you to pray for Michael. He, he, he found out he uh, lost his aunt uh, uh, last week. And before that, the week before that, he lost his younger brother. <laughs> so uh, pray for that. And... Uh, um, others in our, in our body who are dealing with things. So we just want to go to prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you have allowed us to come out tonight and uh, to fellowship here in this place. And Lord, we do, um, we do pray for our, our brother Michael and we ask that you would uh, uh, minister your, your grace to his heart and to his family as he goes through um, this, this time of loss. And Lord, we, we pray that more than anything, Father, that you would uh, give him words of, of comfort um, for those. We also think of Mariana, uh, who lost her, uh, I guess it was her, her great-grandmother, and also Mario, uh, who just lost a, a brother-in-law, uh, just found out, I think, today. And so, Lord, um, death is never something that's easy to embrace, and yet, Lord, we know that we'll all be facing it one day. 
And Father, we just pray that our hearts would be right with you. Um, and, and Lord, that we would be followers of you and trusting in your salvation that you provide through Christ. Lord, thank you for bringing Christoph and his wife safely here and pray that you would uh, just bless them as they, they visit with us for a couple weeks and, and also just pray for my wife and give her a safe trip and a safe return back. We thank you and we, we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.